Welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by Nina King, Duke's Athletic Director and also the Chair of the Women's Basketball Selection Committee for 2022, and Corey Close from UCLA, who is the President of the WBCA, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. All right, March Madness 2022. Uh, first time we've had a real tournament the way we used to have them in 2019, but with plenty of changes, especially on the women's side. That's what we're going to discuss on our social series. Uh, Nina, let's first pull back the curtain here. What will be the most significant changes that we will see, starting maybe with the branding behind you, with the women's tournament? Absolutely. We're so excited. The branding is, um, it's going to be just out of this world. In increased signage. Um, we're utilizing March Madness now for both men's and women's tournaments. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's going to be so enhanced and, and student athletes will notice it. Fans will notice it. Um, fans in the arenas and the venues, as well as fans at home. So really placing an emph emphasis on increased signage and, and the branding. Um, I think another huge uh, right away will be noticeable come select Sunday is we're expanding the bracket to 68 teams this year. Um, you know, it's it's similar, exact same as as the men. Um, the men have 68 now for several years, and so the women's bracket will be 68 uh, moving forward, which means first four games for the women's tournament. Um, and so those first four games will will kick off here um, next week and and start us going on uh, on the road to the 2022 championship. Uh, Corey, uh, let's first deal with. The March Madness, because now that will be universal. Uh, what was your reaction um, as a coach, uh, as someone who also represents coaches and deals with student athletes all the time when you heard that? Well, I think it was, first of all, the work of so many. Um, you know, I think it's, it's an automatic association with the NCAA tournament. And it really, it just formalizes what really we already were experiencing in just the normal language. People were like, oh, we didn't even know that wasn't the case. But actually, it wasn't the case with the expanded branding. And so we're able to now, you know, take sort of a household phrase that's really associated with this spectacular tournament for both men's and women's basketball and enjoy it on that front. So I think it's just it's really um, elevating just sort of the signage, but also just the impression that women's basketball is on an equal stage. So as someone who represents coaches, uh, we know making the NCAA tournament uh, for men, for women, didn't matter. Uh, that was a significant step toward job security. And now there are four more opportunities from 64 to 68. I'm curious, why, why did it take so long to, to match the men and have 68 uh, opportunities, 68 bids into the women's mm -hmm. tournament? Well, obviously, my job with the WBCA is to represent coaches, but I think that wasn't the driving force um, behind that decision. I think it was really student athlete opportunity. This, this is, you know, four more teams, four more groups of, of young people that get to experience this spectacular event. And so I think that really was the driving force. How can we how can we create an equitable um, but just an amazing experience for four more teams and groups of student athletes. Obviously, there's some job security that comes into play. Most people have bonus structures and all of those things. But this really wasn't a, about coaches. This was really about student athletes and providing a further uh, experience for them. In terms of how, why it went, uh, you know, took so long, 
You know, I don't think it's a, a simple answer. I think, you know, you want to do things in right order. And I think this was the right time to make this, to elevate this as an important issue. Um, you, you really also, though, want to have a competitive field. So you want your parity to match up with the timing in which you add four more teams. And because we really want this to continue to be the premier women's sporting event really in the world. And so, um, you know, I think it was an important intersection that we needed to find. Nina, you and I have talked quite a bit about this topic over the last uh, year plus. Um, but I'm just curious from your perspective, you know, sometimes it just takes an event to push for change. Uh, we've seen that obviously in social justice, you can go down the line of, of, you know, unfortunately people just don't change on their own. But prior to last March, with the initial video on, on you know, what happened with the women's tournament. What, what kind of movement was there to make changes, to make it more equitable with the men and the women? Sure. I mean, before last year, um, there there has been push for change um, in in our committee rooms, in the women's basketball community, in the women's sport community in general um, for a long time. Uh, you know, Title IX to us 50 years ago, and I think we've been pushing for change ever since. Um, and so it was really just, you know, uh, I am so grateful for those that came before me to kind of pave the way and, and get us to the point where we are, um, where the drumbeat just became louder and louder and, and very public um, last year and in a painful sort of way. Um, but what that's led to is the increased opportunity um, to, to create change in, in a really uh, big fashion on a national stage to share for the Women's Basketball Championship. Championship, um, and then uh, you know, kind of everything else uh, for women's sport in general um, as we move along here towards progress. So it's it's been a long time coming, and I think there's so many of us that are relieved to see that that voices are being heard and, and changes being made for sure. So in, in terms of the first four, those four teams we just were discussing, I know this was done quickly, so there wasn't a chance to have a bid. The men obviously have had it in Dayton. Uh, what will that first four look like here in 2022? Sure. So for this year, the first four is going to be held on campus sites. Um, as you know, the top 16 seeds, uh, the top 16 um, host uh, first and second rounds. So those extra four games will be held on the sites of, of four of those uh, institutions to be determined on Selection Sunday. Um, it's a really tight turnaround for so many involved. The logistics of, of pulling off games starting uh, in, in two days after Selection Sunday is just extremely tough, but we're going to do it this year. It's going to be fantastic. But the, the idea is after this year to move to a neutral site, like the men are in Dayton, um, the women's tournament will look to hold the first four at a neutral site. So that bid process is going to start here soon. So you are in the selection committee room uh, planning for a selection Sunday show will be out, uh, you know, after the men. Um, that was another change. Uh, what are the, what, what was the thought process in, in having a selection Sunday for the women and uh, Nina and then Corey, if you can go back into that. Sure. I mean, that one was mainly logistical. Like I said, pulling off the first four games um, in such a tight turnaround, we needed to move the selection show a day back. Um, nothing is concrete for, for 2023 and beyond. There's a lot of debate whether it should be held on Sunday or should the women's show have its own day on Monday. Um, and so those are for, for those that come after me uh, to decide for, for the future. Corey? Well, I think it's, you know, I think logistically, right, as, as Nina said, it's, it has to, it had to be moved up just to make sure that that 
could take place. But I think we'll have some great data points, right? You know, what was the viewership like? Um, how did the enthusiasm ramp up? You know, this is all about growing our game. And, you know, we, we love to, uh, you know, just continue to learn. Um, did this work? Did what adjustments need to be had? But I'm excited. I'm excited to be able to see if we can continue to dovetail. Um, you know, there's so much excitement around basketball um, selection show. And, you know, we'll, I think it's just a matter of let's, this was needed this year and let's figure out if this is what's best for our sport moving forward and then go from there. All right. So now let's deal with amenities. Um, you know, uh, it matters to the student athlete and yeah, it should. Student athletes love gear. I, I know. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, so, you know, last year that was definitely an issue. Uh, what will be done in that department in terms of the swag? Exact same. <laughs> uh, everything is going to be the same. The mementos, it's going to be packaged the same. Um, going to receive the exact same um, types of gifts through each round of the tournament. And so, I mean, that was that was an easy one. Low hanging fruit. Let's go. Make it exactly the same between men's and women's. Um, and and so, I, the NCAA staff has just done an incredible job. And. You know, every meeting we're in, they kind of lay out the student athlete journey from selection Sunday uh, through the national championship. And it's going to be the same, which is really exciting. Corey, you're there every day with your players. Well, you're that's, the, you know, there's so many levels to this, but there's not many other things that are going to get the attention more of the student athlete than the swag bags, the mementos, the all of those things. It's just this is a once in a lifetime experience. You know, I've been coaching for 29 years now and that process of watching their faces and their experiences through the journey, it never gets old. It is really, uh, you know, it's, it's just such a treasure. It's something they'll remember forever. And for this, um, you know, to be a statement that you are not less than, this is an equitable thing and we bring value to your experience as a women. Um, I just think it's a powerful shift and I'm really thankful to the work that went into that, to the, the corporate sponsor activation. I think that's a really important piece of this is, as our ratings go up, as all the different things surrounding the business that corporations would not see this as, oh, we need to make this equitable. No, this is a good investment. This is a this is the chance to move it from this is not a cause. This is a product that's worth investing in. So I really want to say thank you to the corporate sponsors that have been activating at new levels. And we need to continue to grow that part of this. Um, but uh, the student athletes are going to be over the moon um, and as they should be. And, and it, this is, this is the right next step in this arena. So look, I, I don't know. I, I know not everything's under your control here, um, but what we have seen, and if both of you can comment on this, start with you, Nina, is that when women's basketball games stand alone, they rate well. Um, it's not, crazy if if it's going against a men's game and it's not necessarily women versus men a lot of times it's you know an over-the-air uh, a cable versus a traditional network um you know so it's cbs espn or you name it so how do you get to that next phase of trying to work with the tv windows and i know things are you know tight this year but how do you deal with that to try to get more standalone games and i'm talking about prior to the final four i know the final four they have their own days each each uh, each side but how do you deal with that early nina Sure. Well, I think something that we saw with um, our television partner on the women's side last year, ESPN, um, to continually grow the game is they now broadcast 
all games um, from start to finish on linear ESPN networks. Um, so prior to, to last year, we had whip around coverage. You might not have seen a whole game from start to finish before ESPN brought you to another game. Um, so that was a really exciting step forward um, with ESPN last year. Then we also saw games on ABC last year um, and anticipate that we will have more games on, on a ABC um, this year and moving forward. So ESPN has just been a great partner helping us to, to figure out ways to grow viewership, um, ultimately grow the game. And, and um, you know, we're, we're continuing to work with them to find additional ways um, to make sure that, that the fans uh, get what they want to see on TV. Yeah, and it's tremendous. I, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's encourages them to invest more, right? And you're even talking last weekend that just came out today. Uh, SEC championship viewership was up 53%. Big 10 up 428%. This is all on ESPN. Um, up 113% in the ACC, the Pac-12, 157%. The viewership numbers just keep growing. And so I think it's what it's doing is it's really garnering the, the it's really it's an important next step is when that ESPN com contract comes up and, and the NCA was really proactive with this. And I really appreciate it to get, what is the market value if women's basketball was a standalone entity and the Desser media, um, you know, did an you know, analyze that. And they, they said it would be worth between 84 and 112 million a year. And so I think as we look at our upcoming contracts, that's an area what's happening right now and the support right now and the enthusiasm right now, I think really helps us lead us down to some of our, our next best practices that we're going to need to analyze is how those contracts are designed and how we can continue to have a structure that continues to uh, enforce this kind of growth. You know, the other thing too is, uh, and I've seen it with my own eyes, is that the regional networks or the conference networks, Pac-12, ACC, Big Ten, SEC, uh, there is a ton of women's basketball programming, obviously all sports, but especially in women's basketball. And those games are on their own nights, not going against the men, and they do well. Uh, we have seen that, that they are doing very well across the board. How much have those conference networks also helped grow the game? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead, Nina, sorry. <clears throat> oh, sorry. I mean, I was just going to kind of reiterate what you said, Andy. I mean, having dedicated nights, we're having studio coverage that is dedicated to just women's basketball. You know, um, I'm in the ACC and, and I know on Thursday night I can turn on the TV and watch ACC women's basketball. And Sundays is, is such a great day for women's basketball um, around the country. And you can turn on the TV and, and find great games. And that's just continuing to increase. Our television partners really do understand the value of, of, of this game and, and putting it on on TV and, and dedicating, um, you know, sl time slots and days to women's basketball. So that uh, the conference networks have been really invaluable to helping us grow this. And it, I would, could say the same thing for the Pac-12 and the fact that last year for the first time, head-to-head matchups on Pac-12 networks were profitable on the women's side. That's a major tipping point, right? And not only that, but it's the telling of the stories, developing content that draws in the fan connection. Um, and I think that's why you have such consistent viewership across women. They're not, be, they're not watching to be entertained. They're watching to be connected to the student athlete experience. And I think those conference networks are really important in developing that kind of uh, deeper content so that the fan base can really get to know who these young women are off the court as well as on the court. So one of the piece of that report you were talking about was a suggestion of a combined Final Four. 
Uh, now, we know logistically it is incredibly difficult to find a city that can house potentially eight different fan bases, um, let alone practice times and games. And, you know, you've got two different networks. Uh, so there's a lot of moving pieces here. Oh, two different coaching conventions. Uh, so ultimately, Nina, the two committees, the men's and women's basketball committees, unanimously decided, no, uh, we're not going to do it when the next contract comes up, at least now. What, what went in to that thought process, adding to sort of what, as I laid sort of the logistical issues? Yeah, logistical challenges, but it wasn't going to be impossible. And it was certainly something that we were willing to look at. And, and we did um, in-depth conversations since the Kaplan report came out um, with both the men's and women's basketball committees, and as well as the men's and women's basketball oversight committees, which Corey is, is a member of as well. Um, we talked to a lot of stakeholders, coaches, student athletes, um, community partners, television partners. We talked to so many people, got as much information as we could to make an informed decision. And really, Andy, what it came down to was there's so many enhancements planned, not just for this year's championship, but 2023 and beyond, that we really wanted to see the impact of those enhancements. Um, and how the game continued to grow in its own way, um, you know, with, with continued investment uh, into the women's championship. And then let's see where we are. The door's not shut on, on the potential of a combined championship, uh, but we just kind of wanted to take a step back. Let's see where we are in a few years and then reassess. Um, I will say next year's format uh, for the women's championship is going to be different. Regionals are moving from four sites to two sites. Um, and so those two sites will accommodate eight fan bases. Um, and so we're really excited to see that format change. And then what we are going to be talking about here in the short term, not waiting until 2031 um, when Final Four site selection opens up again, is the potential of a different model um, for Final Four. Is it a different weekend um, than the men's tournament? You know, what we will look at different things around kind of the format of, of just the women's championship. But for now, combined Final Four is off the table. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, so many people work so hard. And what I appreciate was it wasn't the guiding force wasn't just how do we check a box of gender equity? It is what is best for our game? What is best for us short term? What is best for us long term? And I'm so thankful for the, I mean, over $5 million of investment from the NCAA and countless hours that have gotten to us to a better foundation of, of equity. And, and, and there's still more work to do. I mean, we're looking at a distribution model, looking at um, the, the, the NIT being taken over separately from the NCAA along with the men. Um, obviously what I referred to earlier with the contracts, there's still work to be done, but the guiding force with the decisions with this final joint final four was what is best for our game? How do we continue to grow? What puts us in a better position to continue, like I said earlier, to be the number one women's uh, sporting event in the world? Um, and what continues to have it trickle down to the earlier um, rounds as well? So just all of those things coming into play, but that the growth of our game was the guiding force because so many people work so hard to bring equity to a foundational model. So here's another thing, Nina, and you tell me, uh, you know, to me, this could be an equity issue, but look, I'm not naive. I know that we're looking at television windows, certainly with ESPN, that as Corey said, all these great women's championship Sunday in conference tournaments were on Sunday, but then you yield to champ week for the men before the women's tournament starts the following week with the men. Uh, and that's a long gap between sort of, we're all excited, you know, uh, as great, you know, Iowa, Caitlin Clark, they win, 
and you know, in, in the Big Ten and all this momentum, and then it settles down, and you got to get it back up. Um, so how do you solve that issue if it is an issue? I mean, I, I'm just laying it out that there's a lot of time there, Nina. Sure. And that's what we're going to be looking at over, you know, the next year or so to kind of figure out it. Do we put all the women's um, conference championships in one week? And that's the conferences are going to have to kind of unravel a lot and figure out logistically if, if that's um, something that, that they could operationalize. And, and so then do we move um, so that we're all women's basketball all one week and then our tournament starts and it's all, you know, women's basketball kind of has its own um, own time uh, rather than women's basketball conference tournaments being spread out over two weeks. Now I do have to say there's still a lot of big time tournaments this current week. And so that's true. Uh, Sorry. But it's okay. But it's up against the men's to your point. I mean, the, the all the men's tournaments that are taking place. So yeah, I mean, it's everything is on the table. Look, change is good. Change is okay. We're going to figure this out. Um, but as Corey said, I mean, great point. It is always we're coming at it with the lens of what's in the best interest of these student athletes um, and for the good of our game. But Corey, as a coach, I mean, help me out here. I mean, that's a long gap. Yeah. You know, I think I, I would, um, I just want the data to speak, right? So, you know, may, what is there a difference between uh, the ratings? If we were to try something different, was there a difference between the enthusiasm, the eyeballs on our sport, uh, ticket sales in the earlier rounds? You know, yeah. I think those are the really, that's been our biggest challenge, just speaking frankly, is, you know, how do we get to a point where the one thing that was w wonderful last year is we had so many upsets because we were all on those neutral sites, but we need to get our attendance up um, so that in the earlier rounds, so that we're able to progress and allow some of those things to happen. But, um, you know, to be really frank, I'm not sure. Um, you know, we've had this model for a while um, and we continue to grow. So it's sort of like we're really experiencing great growth. Um, if it ain't broken, maybe don't fix it. But, you know, I think you should always need to be open to, is there a new and better way? Is there a way to continue to increase viewership, increase attendance, uh, increase, you know, all the different things that we've spoken to. But if I'm being really honest, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. We need to look at the data and see what, see what it's pointing to. Well, there's a lot of excitement, which is great. Uh, we're going to have, uh, I think, an un unbelievable tournament culminating with the Final Four in Minneapolis. Uh, Nina, you've got a lot of work to do. You're going to be there throughout the course of the of the way. Corey, uh, great job as always uh, leading UCLA. So Corey, close UCLA. Nina King from Duke, from the from the women's basketball selection committee uh, in Indianapolis. All right, as always, you can go to ncaa.org/social-series where you can find all our social series archive. Thanks for watching, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>